This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Amen. Let me invite you to turn to Isaiah in your Bibles, whether you are here or watching at home. Always have your Bibles open as we walk through the text together. And today we're going to be in the 45th chapter of Isaiah. We're going to look um, at verses 20 through 25 today. God says, turn to me and be saved. Isaiah 45, and we're going to look this morning um, at just verses 20 through 25 And I'll ask you to follow along in your your Bibles as we look at it together. God says, Come, gather together and approach you fugitives of the nations, those who carry their wooden idols, and pray to a God who cannot save, have no knowledge. Speak up and present your case. Yes, let them consult each other. Who predicted this long ago? Who announced it from ancient times? Was it not I, the Lord? There is no other God but me, a righteous God and Savior. There is no one except me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, truth has gone from my mouth, a word that will not be revoked. Every knee will bow to me, every tongue will swear allegiance. It will be said about me, righteousness and strength are found only in the Lord. All who are enraged against him will come to him and be put to shame. All the descendants of Israel will be justified and boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we know that there is no other God but the true and living God that we come to right now. We thank you so much for your word that you have given to us. And we pray that right now as we dig into the scriptures together that Uh, Wherever we are and wherever we are in our lives today, whatever issues we're facing in our lives, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would encounter us and change us, that we might go forth and be used as agents of change in the lives of others for your glory's sake. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. One of the great encouragements about preaching is that you never know what God is going to do in somebody's life when you're faithful just to, to preach his, his word. And somebody could be sitting out there in a room or they could be watching a video or whatever and God just supernaturally, by the power of his Holy Spirit, just takes his word that day, and it is just a, a supernatural encounter that someone has, and their lives are, are radically changed. Um, 
Charles Spurgeon, who was a 19th century British pastor who's had such an influence on me, his devotional book, Morning and Evening, has been such a balm to my soul through the years. But Charles Spurgeon, as a teenager, came to Christ on a Sunday morning very much like this one. It was a snowy Sunday morning. I did not plan this illustration this way for today. The sermon's been done for a few days. Didn't know what the weather was going to be. But it was a day very much like this one. And he was planning on going to one church, and he couldn't even get there because of the snow, and he ended up going to another. And in his autobiography, Spurgeon, with his trademark humor and flair, tells about what happened in his young life that day. He writes, I sometimes think that I might have been in darkness and despair until now, had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm. One Sunday morning, while I was, I was going to a certain place of worship, when I could go no further, I turned down a side street and came to a little primitive Methodist chapel. In that chapel, there may have been a dozen or 15 people. I had heard of the primitive Methodists, how they sang so loudly that they made people's heads ache. But that did not matter to me. I wanted to know how I might be saved, and if they could tell me, I did not care if they made my head ache. <laughs> the minister did not come that morning. He was snowed up, I suppose. At last, a very thin-looking man, a shoemaker, a tailor, or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. Now, it is well that preachers be instructed, but this man was really stupid. <laughs> he was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had little else to say. The text was, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. There and then, the cloud had gone, and the darkness rolled away. And that moment, I saw the sun. I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them, of the precious blood of Christ, and the simple faith which looks to him alone. Now, the text that that lay preacher used that day was a verse that we just read. It was Isaiah 45 and verse 22, which is an invitation. And it was an invitation that a teenage Charles Spurgeon responded to that snowy morning, but really in its original context in Isaiah 45, it is an invitation to the world, to the nations, and that's where we begin. So the first thing that we see here is God's gracious invitation to the nations. Let's look beginning with verse 20. God says, come, gather together and approach, you fugitives of the nations, who, those who carry their wooden idols and pray to a God who cannot save, have no knowledge. How incredibly sad verse 20 is because it's picturing just the desperation and the futility of people who do not know the one true God, of, of people who worship idols. And so the picture here in verse 20 is of people who are pouring out their hearts, pouring out their prayers to false gods who cannot hear them. Who, who have no knowledge, who are inanimate objects. 
that they cannot hear, they cannot answer their prayers. They are gods of wood or metal or stone. I read something um, recently from, from one of our, our, our IMB missionaries, and this was from something that happened in their, their country, and it was the, the local paper's account of what happened, and I wept multiple times this week reading this, I hope I can get through it, because of, of the absolute sadness and the picture the picture of what so many people around the world, the desperation and the futility of people who do not know the one true God and who are pouring out their, their hearts and their lives to, to false gods. This is the local paper's account. In the small village of Galahali, a woman named Jayama, wife of a local farmer named Halapa, filed a police report that her husband was missing. She went on to say in the report that when she discovered her husband, she found that he had sacrificed himself to his God. A statement released from the police said, over the past year and a half, Halapa had developed an extreme devotion to the God that he was worshiping, and he performed worship regularly. On Friday, November 22nd, he went to the market and purchased some worship items. He left his house at 10 p.m. that night telling his wife that he was going to the garden to perform a special worship. The following morning, when Halapa had not returned, Jayama went to the garden and she found her husband. He had cut his throat before a stone that he had been worshiping. He had cut his throat before a stone that he had been worshiping. Oh, how we wish that the good news of a God who sacrificed himself on our behalf could have reached Halapa. And that is the invitation that we see here in verse 22. When God says here, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other Now, this is the verse that Spurgeon responded to that morning. And the example of his life is a great example of of how it should work. Because this was one person responding to the invitation to be saved. But then God took his life and used his life for many more people to be saved saved, which is, is how it's supposed to work. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you're necessarily going to be called to be um, a, a preacher or a, a missionary as your, your, your vocation in life. But what it does mean for every single one of us, for every Christ follower, is that God has saved you to serve. You're saved to serve. And you are saved to, to leverage your life so that disciples can be made not only in our community, but around the world. That, that, those are the marching orders that Jesus has given us in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. So each 
follower of Christ, every single one of us, needs to ask ourselves a question. How am I going to obey Jesus' great commission? How am I going to obey Jesus' great commission? I mean, we're, we're, we're to go to, to make disciples of all nations. That, and that, that phrase there means, that means every tribe and, and tongue. It's, every, it's every, every ethnic group of people, right? Every distinct people group on earth. That's our charge, is to take the gospel to every people group on earth, every tribe and tongue around the world. How are you going to obey the Great Commission? Well, there is a way that you can do that. And that is by being linked to a local church that is obeying the Great Commission. By, by, by joining and being involved in and giving through a local church that is a Great Commission church. Where the, the budgeting of the church reflects Great Commission priorities and where there is a focus on reaching the world for Christ through praying and giving and going. If you're a part of a local church like that, then you can be obedient to the Great Commission. And especially in a situation like ours, when, when, when we're linked to a, a, a missions agency like the IMB, where the explicit strategy is to reach the unreached, to reach every tribe and tongue, every people group on earth with the gospel. We will not stop until Jesus comes to try to reach every single people group with the gospel. And so, you know, I'm often asked by people who are you know, moving to another part of the country to recommend a church to them in the city that they're, they're moving to. And when I'm asked that question, I'm, I'm happy to make recommendations because it's a huge, a huge decision for people that are moving. But when I do research on churches that I would recommend, I'm looking for two things above all. One, I'm looking for a church that believes and preaches the Bible, where the, the, the preaching of that church is seriously engaging with Scripture, and where where. Their books of the Bible are being taught and people are, being, are digging into the, the word and so that it's the, it's the scripture that is being unpacked as people study it and it's preached expositorily. But the other thing that I'm looking for is a church that's serious about missions. A church that, that's truly a great commission church. And I'm going to recommend a church like that because that's the kind of church that I would want to be a part of. If I'm looking for a church myself, one, it's going to be a church where the, where the, the scripture is being expounded. Like, I, I don't want to sit there and, just, and listen to sort of, you know, kind of trendy topics or whatever. Like, I want to dig into the Bible. That would be one thing. But also, I'm going to join a church that's, that's, that's a great commission church because whatever church I'm going to join First of all, I'm going to tithe, I'm going to give 10% of my income through the budget of that church and special offerings on top of that, and I want my resources that God has entrusted me with to be used strategically in a way that helps further the marching orders of Jesus to carry out the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. 
And furthermore, in whatever church I would join, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be involved in using my spiritual gifts. You know, I'm gonna be teaching or, or, or whatever, engaging myself in the life of that church to try to help people grow in Christ. I'm gonna be inviting friends who don't know the Lord to come to that church. And I want them to come to Christ in a church and be discipled in a church where their lives are gonna be leveraged for the worldwide glory of God in carrying out the Great Commission. So the, God's invitation is to the nations, right? And we wanna be a church that's in, that has a, a vision for reaching the, the nations that's in line with his invitation. Second thing that we see here is God's gracious warning to every person. God's gracious warning to every person. Let's look at verse 23. God says, by myself I have sworn, truth has gone from my mouth, a word that will not be revoked. Every knee will bow to me. Every tongue will swear allegiance. Now, if you know the New Testament, and if you've read the book of Philippians, then this should sound familiar to you. Because Paul in Philippians 2 is drawing from Isaiah 45, 23. Paul says there in Philippians 2, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul's talking there about the day when, when Christ returns. And on that day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And those who know Christ are going to bow before him and they're going to confess the one that they have come to know and love as their Savior. Those who have not come to know him are going to be bowing and confessing before their, their judge. Adolf Eichmann was Hitler's main architect in designing and carrying out what the Nazis referred to as the final solution, which was a mass murder of Jewish people in Europe. After the end of World War II, Eichmann slithered out of Germany to South America, and he was living outside of Buenos Aires in Argentina. And it took 15 years, but eventually Israeli agents caught up with him. And on May 11th, 1960, he was captured by Israeli agents, and he was taken back to, taken to Jerusalem to stand trial for his, his crimes during World War II. And eventually he was sentenced to death. And in the days and months leading up to his execution, there was a Canadian missionary in Jerusalem, William Hull, who visited Adolf Eichmann in jail and who shared the gospel with him without success. Eichmann's heart was an absolute rock hard. Uh, he had no interest whatsoever in the gospel and according to the author of Hunting Eichmann, Neil Bascom, quote, Eichmann did not fear God's judgment. There is no hell, he declared. What was more, he refused to confess, quote, I have not sinned, I did nothing wrong, I have no regrets. 
one day Adolf Eichmann will, will confess that Jesus is Lord. Racist, anti-Semite Adolf Eichmann will bow before a dark-skinned Jew and confess that he is king of kings and lord of lords. And it will be a moment of terror for him and for anyone who doesn't know the Lord on that day. It doesn't have to be a moment of terror for you. It can be the most joyous moment of your life as you bow before your Savior, as you confess before him. But I want to tell you, every knee that was too proud to bow before Jesus during their life will bow before him on that day. Every tongue that was ashamed to confess Jesus as Lord during their life, they will confess him on that day, but they will confess him as judge. Turn to Christ now while you have the opportunity to be saved. God's gracious warning to every person. Third, justification is in Christ alone. Justification is in Christ alone. Verse 25, all the descendants of Israel will be justified and boast in the Lord. Now the word justified here means to be declared righteous, to be made right, to be made right with God. And it says all the descendants of Israel will be justified. Now, who is he talking about? Who are all the descendants of Israel here? It's you and me. It's every person who is in Christ. Because what was the promise that God made to Abraham when he founded the nation of Israel? In Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to create a special people through you, right? It's Israel. And he says that I'm going to, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to create this nation through you. And I'm going, to, I'm going to bless them, and they're going to be a blessing. And then God says of Abraham's seed, says of Israel, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. In other words, God says, I'm going to create this special people, but then I'm going to bless all the peoples through Israel. Now, how does that happen? Well, when we look at the Old Testament, you know, what we see is that God creates Israel to be that light to the nations, but they turn away from God. They fail to be the light to the nations that he's called them to be. Does that mean that God is going to let his promise to bless the world through Israel fall to the ground? No, God keeps his promises. So what does he do? He brings forth the Savior from Israel, right? He brings forth Jesus from Israel, and now through Jesus, who is Israel's Messiah and Lord of the world, God is bringing blessing and salvation to all peoples as he promised to Abraham originally. Now Paul brings all of this together in Galatians 3. He says there, in verses 7 and 8. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. 
all nations will be blessed through you. Again, look at Galatians 3 and chapters, uh, verses 28 and 29. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, this doesn't mean that the church becomes Israel or replaces Israel or that God doesn't have a, a, a plan for ethnically Jewish people in the end times. I, I believe that he, that he does. But what it does mean is that there is one family of God. There is one family of God And everybody who is in that one family of God is made right with God in one way. (laughs) And that is through Jesus. We are made right with God through the righteous one. The one who lived the perfectly righteous life that we could never live the one who died the perfectly righteous, atoning death for sinners, and the one who rose from the dead, defeating death, and who who now sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and who will return to judge the living and the dead. That is the servant. Jesus is the servant, the suffering servant, that we're, we're reading about in this latter part of Isaiah. And I want us to look this morning at chapter 53 and verse 11, the latter part of verse 11, at what God says about his, his servant. My righteous servant will what? Justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Turn to him and be saved. And if you have turned to him and you have been saved, then leverage your life to help other people turn to him and be saved. That we might make disciples in our community and around the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your gracious work, the amazing grace that we have seen in the gospel Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus and his great love. And Father, I pray for anyone who is is in hearing of this message today that has never turned to Jesus and been saved. I pray, Father, that this, this day would be a day of salvation, a day of rescue. That, Lord, that you would grant people the grace to turn from trying to do life apart from Jesus and to to turn to him and trust in him and rely on his finished work on their behalf, his shed blood, his resurrection from the dead, and that they would receive Christ as their Savior and Lord and King. And Father, for those of us who have done that, 
we pray that you would give us the grace to leverage our lives on behalf of the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations, beginning with our friends and our families and our neighbors and people in our lives every day, but Lord, extending that to people at the ends of the earth until the day when all people, peoples from every, peoples from every nation, every tribe and tongue are gathered together and singing praises to Jesus, the Lamb that was slain on our behalf. That's in his name that we pray. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.